Welcome into White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We got two hours of fun with you before we get going with the pregame show for the Orioles and White Sox. Hera Dillon's on the mound this afternoon. Dylan Covey and Dylan Bundy on the hill as the White Sox and Orioles get going for a well, game two of a three-game set. Good afternoon and welcome into the show. Lots to do this afternoon, lots to talk about. We're getting close to a number of different you know, milestones throughout the season. We finished our first month of the year. Coming up on a couple of deadlines that maybe you've heard of, maybe you've been looking forward to, and maybe I would imagine, well, let's be honest, I would imagine a number of White Sox fans have been looking forward to this month of May because of what it may, in fact, bring for the White Sox. We'll see. We'll talk quite a bit about it. We've got, here. here's what's going on on the show today. Dane Dunning, who has had a lights-out run through low A ball and just got called up to high A ball, is going to join us uh, probably about 4.30 or so. We'll talk to Dane and see what he's been up to in the minor leagues and what's been the secret to his success. I'm sure he'll he'll, he'll give it in great detail, just give away all his secrets. Uh, we'll also talk with WLS's own Kat Garcia. She'll join us after the 4 o'clock news. She's got her latest piece out on Tommy Canely and the White Sox bullpen and just how good it's been to start this season. Right about 5 o'clock, we'll talk to Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago. He'll have uh, just spoken with Ricky Renneria about what seems to be a new look to the White Sox lineup. We'll see if that's going to be a relatively permanent thing, if that's going to be just somewhat of a downshift or change in gears for the White Sox. We've always got our news and notes segment. we got the mailbag we'll dive into. You guys have been real active in uh, throwing a bunch of questions our way on Twitter. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle if you want to leave questions or thoughts or comments or whatnot in the mailbag. That's how you do it. You can also get at us here on the show, 312-591-8900. That's the phone number here for White Sox Weekly, 312-591-8900. Uh, we'll also get you a very in-depth and detailed minor league report because I think, I mean, it's no secret that in a few days here, the number comes up, at least the first one, for Yoan Mankata. We'll talk a bit about his success down in AAA. We'll talk about the idea, the prospects, the philosophy behind calling him up or not calling him up, whether he's ready, whether he's not, all that good stuff, because it's been real interesting to watch. That's coming up a bit later in the show. want to deal with a couple things news-wise for the White Sox before we start, of course. Uh, and White Sox Charities invites fans to celebrate over 25 years of giving with $25 for 25 Donate 25 bucks or more on May 10th and 11th with the chance to win White Sox prizes, including autographed items and experiences. For more information and to participate, visit whitesox.com slash 25. That's whitesox.com slash 25. So a few pieces of, of news that we found out, mostly about the pitching for the White Sox, as they left Kansas City and headed into Baltimore last night. Kind of a, a weird, crazy little ball game last night. We'll hear from Miguel Gonzalez after that game, he was pitching against his old club in Baltimore for the first time. He had thrown against them before with the White Sox, of course. Uh, but this was the first time to go back to Camden Yards and throw where he was you know, brought up into the major leagues, an organization that stuck with him for quite some time before. Frankly, let him go for pretty strange reasons. The Orioles were hurting for starting pitching last season, and Miguel certainly would have done well for them. He was fantastic for the White Sox. Uh, and has been off to a pretty good start this year. It's kind of a, a bonkers ball game, what with Wade Miley getting hit twice last night by line drives. Jose Abreu and obviously El Garcia both hitting him 
with comebackers. He left the game, and then Gabriel Anoa comes out of nowhere and throws six shutout innings for the Orioles. White Sox threatened really all night long, especially into the eighth and ninth, nearly tied that ball game up, but were unable to do so. So they dropped the first one against the Orioles. We'll hear, like I said, from Miguel Gonzalez in a couple minutes right after the first break here in a few. But what has affected the Sox, and I suppose the biggest pieces of, of news has been the latest injury into the White Sox bullpen and and really the arms. It, it's kind of remarkable. The fact that there are five starting arms, I mean, I mean you know, top-tier kind of guys, bullpen and rotation, that are now on the disabled list for the White Sox, and still they continue to pitch as well as they have. That's a credit to, first and foremost, it, it's a credit to the guys who were brought into this club to from the get-go to start the season. It's a credit to guys who had their number called, whether that's Tommy Canely, who you know technically wasn't with the White Sox to start the season, but didn't pitch any in AAA either. He was called up, the I believe it was the day that AAA Charlotte started their season, and has done nothing but strikeout hitters since. Anthony Swarzak, a non-roster invitee, has stepped up and given the White Sox some much-needed length in the bullpen, what with Patricia Putnam and now Nate Jones all going down. James Shields is on the disabled list, and it sounds like he'll miss probably another start. Uh, the timetable for him was kind of downshifted some. The lats just not quite responding to where, uh, to, to some of the rehab and the throwing program, not the rehab necessarily, the throwing program that the White Sox had him on. So it looks like Mike Pelfrey, who has been fairly serviceable in his couple of starts, kept you in ball games more or less. And that's really what you can ask for a guy who's, I guess, sixth on that rotation or seventh in that rotation. And the White Sox have stated a number of times that they don't feel it would be appropriate or fair even to the arms that they do have, those top prospect arms, guys like Reynaldo Lopez, guys like Lucas Giolito, like Carson Fulmer, the list goes on, to bring them up and throw them into what could be just a, a temporary situation. So with the injury to Nate Jones now, those later innings, and I, I talked with Don Cooper about this on the White Sox pregame show last night, those arms who were surprises to start the season, your Canely, your Swarzak, that kind of idea, they're pushed into, I, I think, probably some more high-leverage roles. And I don't know if it's necessarily something that you only see with a team where the White Sox are, you know, choosing to kind of make this rebuild happen, uh, acquiring young talent, all that kind of stuff. But you, you find some some roster spots that you're able to give to, I don't want to say flyers because that just dismisses so much of the player's work, but I feel like you get the idea. You you get a chance to give those roster spots to guys like Tommy Canely, Anthony Sporzak, or what have you. They get to show off the mechanical changes in the case of Tommy Canely or the the pitch selection changes in, in a case of, of Anthony Swarzak throwing the slider so much more than the fastball that he had thrown over his most of his career, even as a starter going back to the Minnesota Twins, and you get to see the success. Now, I, I, hopefully that stays strong. Hopefully they're able to uh, to pitch in those high leverage spots because it certainly seems like the White Sox will need to lean on them in some of those places. And of course, you, you have David Robertson at the back of the bullpen, who's having as good a start to his season as you could probably ask, too. Um, did blow one save, but came back to throw two innings. And, and in that ball game, we come to find out 
Uh, and, and General Manager Rick Hahn kind of told beat reporters this the other day when they announced Jones was going on the disabled list. That day when Robertson had to go out and throw two or did go out and throw two innings, the White Sox were trying to stay away from Nate Jones because he was you know, starting to feel it a little bit in that elbow. Those are the, the kind of notes that, that we'll start with here. We'll, we'll hear from Miguel Gonzalez when we get back from a quick break. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Want to know what you've thought from the White Sox over their last you know, week or so of play? Because we've seen, and we'll get to the lineup for tonight in a few minutes as well, we've seen a couple of different machinations of the lineup. We've seen a couple of different ways that Ricky Renneria has thrown guys out there. And whether that's because of need with Todd Frazier going down with a little bit of a back injury for a while, whether that's because he's trying to mix up some spots for Cody Ashey and Matt Davidson to get into the ball game, whether that's be, you know, there have been a number of different things that the send down of Jacob May and the, the call up of Willie Garcia, the three Garcias outfield. We've seen a couple of different things. And I wonder what's been, I don't know, working for you. What, what have you liked out of the lineup, out of the ways that, that Ricky has changed it some. And I suppose maybe i got to give you tonight's lineup before you before you really have a handle on that. And we'll do that in a couple of minutes after we hear from Miguel Gonzalez. You've got the phone number at 312-591-8900. You have the Twitter handle, too, at C1McKnight. I'm Connor. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. If you want to bring your little all-star closer to the game, fans 13 and under can join the White Sox Kids Club for special Kids Club giveaways, free White Sox tickets, and exclusive events. Head to WhiteSox.com slash Kids Club today to join. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. We've got White Sox baseball coming up at 6.05. Pre-game show starts at, let's see, what does that do? At 5.30, we'll begin the pre-game show and you've got White Sox Weekly up until then. About 4.05, we'll talk with Kat Garcia of WLS. She's got her latest article out on Tommy Canely and the bullpen, which will be asked to uh, to perform the way it has been for. I almost said it'll ask to do more. It's going to be asked to do exactly what it has been doing, and that's give up, you know, frankly, zero runs and not allow inherited runners to score and be nails with runners and scoring. The whole thing, that's what it's going to be asked to do, but it'll be asked to do it. Without Nate Jones now, he's got some elbow neuritis, I guess, in his... Well, I don't guess that's what it... I just I don't know what it is necessarily. It's elbow neuritis is the issue. Keep him out about two weeks or so. The White Sox are fairly optimistic, I guess, that his return could be in about two. So hopefully they won't be out with uh, or without his services for as long. Meanwhile, Miguel Gonzalez last night was uh, admittedly a little amped, a little maybe more juice than he should have been coming out in the first, or could have been, I suppose, coming out in the first against his old squad and pitching in Camden for the first time as a member of the White Sox against his old ball club. He went six and two-thirds, gave up six hits, two runs, two earned, one walk, five strikeouts, didn't give up the one home run, to Chris Davis, it was a pitch that was up and over the middle, and you can't do that to Chris Davis. Miguel knows that as well as anybody, but struggled in the first and worked around some problems later on. Was was frankly vintage Miguel Gonzalez. He talked a bit about his start after last night's game. Wanted to bring it to you today. Bittersweet situation. Uh, you know, I understand that coming back in at Camden Yards, uh, the fans were were happy to see me. Um, I just went out there and had fun. That was it. Feel pretty good. Yeah, felt good for the most part. Uh, the first inning, uh, I got it, I got myself into trouble. Um, you know, threw 30 pitches, 
other than that, settled down after that, it was fine. Oh yeah, there was a lot of adrenaline going on, for sure. Um, that first thing, um, there was some emotion, and it was, uh, that's why I felt like a little, a little too much amped up. But uh, settled down after that. Second inning was better. Um, you tipped your hat to uh, Chris Davis, a homer he hit. Um, Splitty. I mean, they they're gonna battle no matter what. Um, you know, I was I was able to make some pitches when I needed to, and and got out, got out of some jams. Um, you know, the bad thing about it was was uh, you know we we lost the game. We lost the game. We come back tomorrow and try to win one. And this is where I started uh, my career in the big leagues and. You know, the Orioles gave me the opportunity, but, you know, now I'm with the White Sox and I'm doing a good job. I'm happy to be here. Uh, my teammates are great, um, and uh, we're in a good spot right now. I know that the Orioles have a, a good offense, and to be able to minimize damage in, in a couple of the innings, bases loaded, getting out, getting out of it was, was huge. Um, it's a crazy game. You know, we, we hit. 12 hits, we got 12 hits, and uh, we lost the game. The guys were out there battling. Uh, things didn't, didn't go our way. Uh, keep keep working, keep doing our, our thing, and uh, we'll, we'll be all right. I think this White Sox club has a lot of confidence that they can bounce back from game to game and they can bounce back in games, too. I, I think it probably was a little frustrating to have a guy come out in relief like Gabriel Inoa did, a guy who was just up from AAA, a guy who had a 6.65 ERA in AAA up until he came up yesterday, and then do what he did, six innings of shutout ball. You got some hits, the White Sox did. I, I don't know if you you know, just chalk this one up to hit sequencing and the BABIP gods or if you you know, have a, a, a longer look at it. I, I tend to think it's maybe more of a well burn the tape move on get yourself some quality at bats today against dylan bundy if you can bundy has had and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the show too bundy has looked incredibly good apparently uh, dylan bundy is now allowed to throw his uh, cutter slider kind of thing pitch that, that the baltimore Orioles had kind of told him to not throw after early tommy john surgery in his history anyway maybe you're getting all of bundy now or the Orioles are, and we'll see how much of Bundy the White Sox can get this afternoon. Uh, that was Miguel Gonzalez, who certainly did a pretty good job last night against his old team. Ricky Renneria has changed the lineup some for the White Sox tonight, and I wanted to get to it now because I think we'll talk about it some with Cat Garcia on the other side of the 4 o'clock news. I want to talk about it with you as well. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. Melky Cabrera is in the leadoff spot. Lurie Garcia is batting two. So right there off the top, you have Lurie batting as high as he's hit in the lineup all year long. He had been creeping up very slowly. Last night it was, uh, or pardon me, the final game against the Royals, he was batting five. Of course, the White Sox were without Todd Frazier in that game. Night before, last night, he was batting nine. And, And I think, you know, given the power that you've seen out of Lurie Garcia, I mean, I'm not saying he's a you know, 600 slugger or anything like that, but he's plugged some doubles and giving you some good at-bats, has a little speed, seems like he's pretty willing to lay down a bunt. Maybe, you know, Ricky Renneria and he need to work out exactly when those bunts need to be put down, but certainly willing and able to do it. 
So it's Melky and Lurie, your two switch hitters, or two switch hitters in the lineup right there at one and two. Jose Abreu, three. Avi Garcia, four. Todd Frazier, five at third base. And a lot of the conversation, and we'll likely bring this up with Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago, about five o'clock or so. That's when we'll get to Dan after he's, and the beat reporters have talked to Ricky this afternoon. There had been some hesitance, I guess, from Ricky Renneria about moving Avi Garcia, even given the incredible start he'd had to the year up in the lineup. Whether that was because he was worried about some pressure that Avi might put on himself, whether it be because he's announcing something, whatever it happens to be. Well, Avi's been up there in the lineup the last two nights, batting four. And again, without Todd Frazier, the move was kind of, I don't know, cloaked some. You know, he didn't have to make any kind of announcement or pronouncement about it. It was just Todd's out, Avi's up. And I think that's a good thing, to be quite honest with you, because now he's had a couple of nights in that spot, made whatever kind of anxiety, if there is any, if there's not, I don't know. I'm just, it, it seemed as though Ricky was thinking about it. That seems to be out of the way now, and, and if he needs to be there in that lineup, and if indeed his production stays where it has been, why not? Abreu, Garcia, and Frazier, 3-4 and 5. Cody Ashey gets a look tonight, DHing, hitting left, batting six right behind Frazier. Tim Anderson is in the seven spot tonight. And that's kind of the other, the flip side of this moving Lurie Garcia up. It's Tim Anderson moving down. We'll get to more of the lineup in just a couple of minutes here after the four o'clock news. We'll also talk with Dane Dunning a little bit later on in the show, and Kat Garcia is going to join us as well. I realize I just I stopped at seven for some reason in the lineup. There are nine hitters in a baseball lineup, not seven. I apologize. There are two more. Omar Narvaez is batting eight and catching tonight. Yolmer Sanchez is the nine hitter, a switch hitter at second base. Yolmer's been uh, somewhat impressive to start the season, too. You talk about two guys in Lurie and Yolmer, both switch hitters, both smaller dudes, but both with still a little bit of pop, able to drive the ball from gap to gap a little bit as well. Yolmer said that three-run shot in Yankee Stadium to the opposite field that was majestic, good stuff. Not Aaron Judge or anything, but who is? 312-591-8900 is the phone number. I'm Connor McKnight. We'll talk with Kat Garcia of WLS. She covers the White Sox next on WLS AMA 90. Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back into White Sox Weekly. We got baseball for you coming up this evening, but another hour and a half to hang out with you. Plenty of time to get to a bunch of things White Sox. Coming on down the line, we'll talk to high-A pitcher Dane Dunning right about 435. He's the guy in the White Sox system you may have heard of. He's striking out just about everybody he looks at. We'll do the news and notes segment. We'll get you caught up with the mailbag. We'll do a minor league report as well. We'll talk with Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago right after Ricky Renneria has spoken to reporters. So that's something about 5 o'clock-ish, something like that. We're flexible here on White Sox Weekly. We'll also get a chance to talk with Kat Garcia of WLS. She writes the column there on the White Sox. And her latest is on uh, Tommy Canely and the ridiculous, ridiculous numbers that Tommy Canely has thrown up in the first month or so of the season. Kat, good to talk with you. Uh, read the piece, and Tommy just seems like uh, just seems like a man possessed in the first couple weeks here. 
Yeah, he's been absolutely incredible. I mean, he's made a couple mechanical tweaks, and he seems to really have found his command. And with that sometimes triple-digit fastball that he has, if he continues to pitch the way he has been, he's going to be a really valuable piece for the White Sox bullpen. Have you seen, you know, when when we go from guys who can't find the strike zone, whether it's relievers or whether it's starter or something like that, have you does he remind you of somebody that you've seen kind of find it and have it click for him before? I whether it's a starter, I don't even care if it's lefty, righty, that kind of or even if it's I mean, I guess typically those guys who can't find it are big time velocity guys, but I wonder if there's somebody similar in your mind that Tommy kind of screams out for you. Actually, it's interesting because on the other side of town, Hector Rondon, you know, before he went on the DL last year, and now he's had, obviously, seen a variety of issues. But before that, he was definitely the same type of situation where something just clicked for him, and he had that fastball that was really a good, you know, high-velocity pitch for him. And it, that's something that I would say is similar with Conley. Hmm. Does does the velocity, I don't know, does that worry you some? Are there is there a bad flip side to that coin being a guy that, that throws that hard that needs the mechanical changes to to stay as intact as, as Canley's been to start the season? It you know, velocity is always something that you worry about. You know, you see with guys like Aroldis Chapman, it's really hasn't been an issue. There hasn't been an injury there. But with a guy like Conley, you see him throwing that 90-mile-an-hour slider, and anyone who brings the kind of velocity that he does is going to worry you. Unfortunately, you just kind of have to work and just see where that takes them. But the White Sox are really great at, keeping their pitchers healthy. So that's something that I think we don't have to worry about too much. Yeah, I mean, this season has been kind of the, I mean, the the outlier, I guess, in, in pitcher health for the White Sox. They've got a number on the disabled list, and that I guess that means that a guy like Canley, that a guy like Anthony Swarzak are going to have to move up in terms of high leverage outings. It, it seems, though, that you know, you're pretty high, at least right, reading the column on WLSAM.com slash White Sox. You can find all the cat stuff there. It, it, it seems like you're pretty high on him being able to, to make this a, a consistent fix, that this isn't uh, this isn't exactly flash in the pan that would lead you to be worried uh, about Tommy moving into some of those higher leverage innings. Right. Obviously, we've seen in the past throughout baseball, relievers are very up and down. You know, you really can't predict them for too long of a time, uh, unless there are those guys like Chapman that just stick but the thing is with uh, Conley is that he's made mechanical changes. This doesn't seem like a lot of luck necessarily like we've seen with sure. some pitchers. It's not as if things are just going his way all the time. These seem to be a solid foundation, these changes that he's made to kind of build a future on. Well, and, and when we talk about luck, so much of it is just, you know, balls in play and just, you know, being hit at all. I mean, once, uh, I mean, that's the, that's the tenant, I guess, of it. Once the ball leaves the hand, there's nothing you can do to keep it from being a hit or not a hit, except for striking guys out. And the, the strikeouts have been so high that, that I, I would imagine that's kind of what you're what you're looking at to control for luck, right? Right, absolutely, because when a ball is in play, we've seen that it's, that it's up to the defense. Obviously, the type of ball that's hit, whether it be a ground ball or a fly ball and how hard it's hit, is, you know, those are things that a pitcher can sort of control for. But... Um, with Conley, obviously, we've seen his strikeouts are incredible. Uh, it's because he's throwing that fastball just right by hitters. 
And I think that's going to be really great for him if he can continue to command that fastball. What's your philosophy? Talk with Kat Garcia here of WLS on White Sox Weekly on WLS. What's your philosophy on lineup construction? Do you care about it? Does it matter to you a whole lot? Do you do you fret about where guys are hitting in the lineup on a day-to-day basis? I mean, not to get too statistical here, but... No, I don't mind. Let's do it. Let's, let's get weird. There is a very, very slight chance that lineup construction really affects the outcome of a team's game, season, really anything... So hitting, I know that the new White Sox lineup came out hitting Melky at the top and moving Anderson down. Mm-hmm. That's just something that I think is going to be interesting to see what the results are. Obviously, we know that lineup construction matters in the terms of, you know, where a guy is hitting may make his production a little higher if it doesn't necessarily affect the team as much. But there is going to be less pressure on Anderson in that bottom of the lineup spot. So for the players personally, I think it really helps them. The team necessarily, I'm not sure that has that much of an outcome on. Yeah, I've always thought it's a weird place to be to try and justify, you know, these these season-long looks we have at baseball where, yeah, lineup construction, it doesn't matter, and it's 162 games and it all kind of comes out in the wash. And yet, whether it's maybe not specifically Tim, you know, batting a little bit farther down on the lineup today or whatever, maybe there's a player who, you know, likes hitting behind this guy because – X, Y, and Z. You know, there are there are the human factors that we get to to find within these massive amounts of statistical data, and I, I, I kind of see lineups as as being one of those. I I wonder though, you know, when when you start to move, and I think you know, Ricky Renneria has mentioned this a couple of times. You start to move a guy like Avisel Garcia up, who's been so good in the first five six weeks of the season that you're not asking a guy because of a lineup spot to do anything different than he's been doing. Right. I think it's more the pressure that being in a certain spot of the lineup puts on a player mentally. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, we're saying all this stuff about how it doesn't really matter. Baseball is a very traditional game, and we know that certain spots in the lineup mean certain things, and that brings a different mentality to a player when they're in those spots. I think moving a guy lower is no longer considered necessarily a bad thing. We've seen Joe Madden use players in the lower spots of the of the uh, batting order. And I think it's kind of changing throughout the game, the way that where your place in the lineup is perceived. Yeah. I mean, you look at the way, you know, the Indians will kind of construct their lineup from day to day. I mean, they have, I, I think they have got such a luxury in that Carlos Santana is a leadoff hitter for them when, you know, he is not your prototypical or archetypical leadoff hitter by any... I mean, no one has seen a leadoff... If we're looking at, like, baseball in the 1960s or 70s, no leadoff hitter has ever looked like Carlos Santana has looked. Right, exactly. And not to continue bringing up the Cubs, but the same thing is with Schwarber in the top of the lineup. I mean, he's typically someone that you regard as a power hitter. He's yeah. a bigger guy. He's not necessarily as fast as the typical leadoff hitter would be. But you see guys like that making it into the top of the lineup, and I think we're seeing a real change in how, like I said, a lineup construction is perceived in this game. Yeah, and Melky's in there today for the White Sox in the top spot. We'll see how that goes and perhaps how long that lasts. Kat, really appreciate you hopping on. As always, we'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's Kat Garcia here on White Sox Weekly. You can read her latest. It's mostly uh, all about Tommy Canley. We just figured we'd 
Talk a little bit about the lineup because it's a, it's a different looking one through nine for the White Sox this evening against the Orioles. I don't know that I've seen anything quite like it so far this year. And want to know what you think about it. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. 312-591-8900. Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the San Diego Padres on Saturday, May 13th at 6.10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans will receive a Hawk Harrelson alarm clock presented by Total Lubricants. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. The uh, I don't know if you've seen MLB Network did. Well, the Sox with MLB Network did their ad for the Hawk Harrelson alarm clock. Uh, Dan Plesak is in it. Hawk is just, Hawk's hysterical. Plesak's way. It's great. you got to get yourself an alarm clock, too. I, I know that's going to be difficult. That's going to be really tough. What is that? Hold on, I threw the read away. The first 20,000 fans. Wow, that's a lot of alarm clocks. You have a really good chance of getting one if you get out to the ballpark early enough. That's May 13th. Saturday, May 13th, the first 20,000 fans get an alarm clock. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly. We will take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll do the minor league report. There's a lot to get to, a lot to get to in the minor league report next on White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AMA 90. MLB.TV Premium is back and better than ever. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live on over 400 supported devices. Plus, get a free subscription to At-Bat Premium. The number one app for live baseball, blackout, and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.TV for details. I was using the at-bat app just last night. I was showing some of my friends the uh, the Wade Miley stuff, that the White Sox hit him twice and knocked him out of the ball. It was just, it was crazy. I've never quite seen anything like it. Neither had they, and I used the at-bat app to show them. It was uh, kind of cool. They had been, uh, well, they hadn't been watching the White Sox game. They'd been doing other things, but they they were sad that they'd missed the White Sox game. That's for darn sure. Got to get to the minor league report. We do this every single White Sox weekly. Uh, And really, we try and keep you up to date and abreast of what's going on with some of the big-time prospects in the White Sox system and even some of the guys, especially some of the guys that you hadn't heard of because uh, how else are you going to hear of them if we don't don't tell you about them? That's the whole process. This one, though, we'll stick to some of the big names. And this is kind of a a double-edged sword. I'm going to go through with through some of the things that these prospects have done. And then we'll talk about some of the larger, I don't know, philosophical attachments to guys like Yoan Mankata because a couple of people asked questions about him and about perhaps calling him up in the uh, in the mailbag. So we'll do that then. Got to we'll, we'll start with this. Mankata's been great. I mean, he's just he's been fantastic. His hit streak now goes to 11 games. He had a, a pair of knocks last night in a Charlotte loss to the Gwinnett Braves, 5-4 in nine innings. He's 19 for 45, Yuan Mankata is, over that stretch. That's a 423 batting average, so he's not just you know dropping one in every here and there. He does have 32 strikeouts and 101 at-bats, so that's you know something about that 30% strikeout rate. And that's you'd like to see it below that, or at least... That's kind of a, a number, a you know rule of thumb kind of number that I think a lot of people in evaluating prospects are kind of looking for, I, and that's just that's just from a you know supply and demand curve kind of thing. You want to sink that below so that the value you're providing is above that. I, I wrote down some of the rankings that he's been putting up in the international league so far. Bear with me here; it's a lot of numbers, but they're all pretty superlative. So he's first in runs scored at 22nd. He is second in hits with 35. He's tied for third in home runs with five. 
He's tied for third in total bases with 54. He's tied for sixth in walks. So even though he's got the 32 strikeouts, 13 walks and 101 bats isn't all that shabby. He's tied for sixth in strikeouts with 32. So it has been a lot of swing and miss for Yuan Mankata. But fortunately or unfortunately, either way you want to look at it, that has kind of been built into his profile. It wasn't an unknown thing. Fifth in on-base percentage, 421. Seventh in slugging percentage in 535. Third in average at 347 and fourth in OPS at 956. It has been a darn good four, first four weeks for Yuan Mankata in AAA. Going through some of the other prospects here, and we'll get to more probably in the mailbag. We'll finish this out here because we're up against the news. Zach Collins has walked a ton down in Winston-Salem. Contact issues for Collins some, though I think of, of all of the issues that you could kind of you know, have as a ball player, especially with, with Collins' profile, the contact ones, I guess, are the ones you kind of go, okay, there's probably a little bit of bad luck there, probably a little bit of lower-level umpiring, and he's got a pretty good eye, and maybe just being a little bit more selective, too selective for his own good. Still a 205 batting average and a 379 on on-base percentage. Got 23 walks in 78 at-bats. Luis Alexander Basabe is quietly putting together a pretty good debut as well in the White Sox system. Had an injury that kept him back a little bit, but a 256, 322, 390 uh, slash line is, isn't so bad for a guy who's playing the most advanced ball he's played. Back up to AAA where we find Nicky Delmonico, 24-year-old corner guy for the White Sox, is having a great season too. 304, 471, 366, and... We'll talk about Demonico some in the mailbag because he's been asked about quite a bit as well. Tonight in AAA, Reynaldo Lopez gets the start. Spencer Adams goes in AA and high A. We'll see Daniel McGrath throw. We'll talk with Dane Dunning right after the 4.30 news. He's been absolutely fantastic in low A and has been moved up to high A. He'll make his second high A start for the Winston-Salem Dash tomorrow night. They've had a bunch of rainouts that have moved the schedule around. Talk with Dane, though. He will indeed start tomorrow night. Five innings pitched so so far in high A, five strikeouts, 26 innings thrown in low A, 33 strikeouts. He's been just an absolute monster and a ton of fun to watch. He got picked up in the Adam Eaton deal over this last offseason, and we will talk to him next. News at 4.30. Dane Dunning after that. This is White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90. You got to know where the post is in some of these songs. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox. Not that this song wasn't played like a billion times over one summer. I, listen, I get it. It's still good. Makes you shake. You can hit us on Twitter, too. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. Just got through most of the minor league report. Most of it. I We're going to talk with Dane Dunning who's the high-A starter for the Winston-Salem Dash now, formerly of the Kannapolis Intimidators, and man, was he intimidating hitters. 26 innings pitched and 33 strikeouts. Let me just finish off one or two more players in this minor league report before we get to Dane. Yeah, I think we can stretch it out some. Michael Kopech has thrown 24 innings, walked 16, and struck out 36. It's kind of like a nuclelouche thing for Michael Kopech, although I think, again... We talked about this with Yohan Mankata. The strikeouts have been there for Mankata. The walks have been there for Michael Kopech. Everybody knew that these were the things that, that both of those guys were going to have to work on in the minor league. Granted, they're in different places in their development as prospects. But I think it's in some ways fine, good even, that, yes, here are the issues that baseball player has. 
and here are the things that coaching staff is working with baseball player on they're expected and i think that's a that's a good thing um certainly better than than unexpected things popping up i, I was talking with rick Hahn, actually that makes me think about it right before I think it was right before Cactus League play started, or if it had just started, maybe it was in the first week or so. And he kind of, you know, I asked, okay, what have, what have been some surprises in camp? And he kind of, I mean, almost bristled. I was like, I, I, you know, I, surprises aren't exactly things we want here in camp. Everything that's come up, we've kind of seen coming, and that's where we'd like things. Surprises, generally speaking, when you're doing his job, uh, not all that great. And really, they, they kind of have been mostly expected stuff. Uh, Danny Hayes has continued to hit the long ball in AAA Charlotte, 26-year-old first and third baseman corner type guy, uh, 236 average, 358 on base, and a 461 slugging. When you consider the batting average, just a lot of power there. 17 walks, 35 strikeouts, so that's been a lot there. Uh, five home runs. That is uh, That concludes, I suppose, your minor league report. We'll get into the mailbag and talk about the idea behind calling up Yoan Mankata. And I have a feeling that this will be a two-part conversation on White Sox Weekly, mostly because the date coming up that's uh, that of concern is the 15th of May, and we've got one more show before then. And speaking of, uh, I and the executive producer of Dave's, uh, White Sox Baseball, Dave Zaslowski, who has a title and a name, they're separate. You don't actually meld them together as one thing, but I do sometimes. We're going down Monday to go see the Charlotte Knights play in Indianapolis. Figure it's a decent idea. We've got a car. We can go down there. And you should, too, go down. The White Sox are off on Monday, so you can go see some of these White Sox prospects play in Indianapolis. It's not all that far away, especially if you live on the south side. I mean, hell, you're getting out of town before anybody else does. So go down. There's a ball game down there. And, and we're going to go see some prospects, talk to them, and bring it all back for you on White Sox Weekly. And I would imagine that the conversation we'll have a little bit later on in the show about potentially calling up Yohan Mankata will be one that we'll have for at least a week or two, perhaps even longer. Dane Dunning, a guy whose horizon is a little bit farther out but has been absolutely terrific in low A and now in high A. He'll make his second start in high A tomorrow night. I had a chance to catch up with him literally as we were starting White Sox Weekly. Uh, he was headed out to the field to listen to the anthem, uh, the Dash have a doubleheader. There's been a ton of rain down there. They've got a doubleheader again today. So he had a bunch of meetings and stuff with roving instructors. Had a chance to track him down, though, and I talked with Dane. We're here with White Sox starter Dane Dunning, soon-to-be White Sox starter, right now with the Winston-Salem Dash, making a whole mess out of low A ball before getting called up. Congratulations on getting called up, by the way. And, you know, Dane, if you can, what was working for you in those few innings down there in low A ball that went so well? Uh, mainly I was just pitching off my fastball, and that's what I do with the majority of my starts because, I mean, if you think about hitters, major league hitter going into the Hall of Fame is batting three for 10. He's batting 300. Mm. So I've mainly just been pitching off my fastball and then try to work both sides of the plate and then, you know, mix it a couple off speed here and there just to get them off my fastball, but mainly pound the zone with fastball. It's got to get the head, get quick outs from our team. Yeah, what are the conversations that you've had with, with Rovers, with pitching coaches? I mean, the White Sox, whether it's Don Cooper with the uh, with the major leaguers and all the way through, they seem to have a, a philosophy of, you know, getting it into the zone and getting it in there often. Yeah, I mean, that's with any organization. You, I mean, if you talk to any pitching coach, anything, anywhere, it's mainly uh, – you know, get ahead, attack hitters. Because I mean, if you if you look at results and stuff like that, and I'm I mean I'm not a big data guy, but 
I mean, you could just tell from people, like, if you get ahead of the counts, hitters have a much harder time of hitting. So if you get ahead, you attack the zone, you know, locate your pitches, <coughs> hitters are not going to have a, a great time at the plate. So, Dane, now that you're over in the White Sox organization, you get a chance to play alongside your brother, or at least will soon. He's up one more level, but it's got to be pretty decent to have your own brother in the same organization as you're in. I mean, being in the same organization, it's, I mean, it's awesome because play with them. And I'm hoping, you know, I can keep doing well enough and he does well enough or we can move up and I can somehow either catch him or he gets, you know, I meet him up there hopefully one day in the show or something like that. I mean, it's been my dream. It's, I mean, he's six and a half years older than me and I always made a joke with him in high school saying I was going to beat him to the show <laughs> and uh, never got that opportunity because he made it to the show before I even got my first chance of getting drafted. Yeah. So what will be what was camp like with him with him in camp with you? Did you get a lot of uh, exposure to him then? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, we went and talked in the locker room a bunch, and I mean, he was always on the field. But I mean, we would hang out all we would hang out all the time, and we'd go play golf. And I was just able to pick his brains on certain things, in certain situations. And he like, you know, always talked to me how organizations organizations do stuff because I mean, mainly every organization is pretty much the same. Like. Yeah, they have some philosophies that are different, but majority majority of the time it's uh, mainly the same thing. You still got to go out there and throw strikes. You still got to compete. What was the decision? So little pointers. I got you. What was this decision for you to to go to Florida? Um, I'm I'm curious about your time there, and I know that it was you know that's a stacked rotation, and I think you were pitching, you know, toward the back end or even in relief some. And I wonder what your transition from that to minor league ball when you first came out was like. Yeah, so out of high school, um, I mean, obviously the ultimate goal was to get drafted and stuff like that. And, you know, I I committed to the University of Florida, which is one of the top programs, especially for pitching. I mean, it's one of the top college programs in all of baseball, like all of college baseball. And so I knew I didn't have a bad, like a bad choice if I went pro or I went there. Either way, it was going to be like a good decision. Mm-hmm. Um, so then went there. My sophomore year, I started. I you know, I had like 14 or 15 starts. I started majority of the year. And um, I ended up losing my spot, lost my command a little bit, but I lost my spot to a, a very talented starter named Alex Fajardo. And um, he's actually our Friday night now. Yeah. Um, but so last year we had <laughs> three great starters, outstanding starters who went the whole year. And so I just kind of fell into the pin. And, I mean, I wasn't mad about it or anything. I was making the best of the situation that I had. Um I mean, they they are in those spots, and I, you know, I try to battle for it, and he ended up beating me out. So I can only do is tip my cap for that. And so I went in, went to the bullpen, you know, just trying to go out there and uh, put on a good performance for my team. wasn't trying to do anything else, just trying to get out there and hopefully get a good, like, if I come out of the pen or if I had to start because I did both. So I'm just trying to do the best for my team. Did you learn anything about yourself as a pitcher, throwing in the bullpen like that? Yeah, um, I mean, <clears throat> coming out of the pen, you got to have your stuff right then and there. Um, so you kind of learn, you kind of learn what works for you and what what doesn't, and stuff like that. So yeah, I'd always go out and like I learned how like how quickly I can get ready and you know how like what pitches that I could use to be more effective, like right out of the pen and stuff like that. So just little things I learn here and there.
Was it difficult to go, you know, because in the pen or out of the bullpen, and I don't know what Florida's philosophy is necessarily, but, you know, they, they say you can you know, throw harder, you can kind of let your efficiency kind of go, or not efficiency, but just like you don't have to worry about stamina and staying in a game. You get it loose a little bit. Has has kind of dialing that to a starter's mentality been the same difficult? Has it been a, a more of a transition or less? Um, I mean, obviously when you start, you go long in the game. you got to have more endurance. But in my opinion, I go out there, you start, I give it my all. I, you know, I try to go out there and I punch strikes. I don't try to leave anything, like try to save anything. I'm doing, I don't do anything like that. I try to go out there and attack hitters and everything. And, uh, <clears throat> I mean, out of the pen, it's the same thing. I feel it's the same game. No matter if you're coming out of the pen, if you're starting, like you still got to go out there, you got to throw strikes, you got to compete. And that's my mentality if I'm starting right out of the pen. What's next on your next couple of checklists here now that you've made the transition up one level? What's on Dane Dunning's list of things to do before uh, from the White Sox that, that you're trying to check off here? <clears throat> um, the same thing since the start. Just go out there, compete, you know, attack hitters, pound strike zone, and you know, hopefully give good performances for my team. I mean, that's really all I need and really all the team needs it's to go out there and compete and mainly just have fun i'm not trying to go out there i mean i I get to play kids game for a living i get to play the sport of baseball and get paid like that's what i think that's the dream come true right there yeah that's not a bad hustle man keep it up enjoy it and uh we'll see you sooner rather than later i think thanks dane catch you later you got it man Dane Dunning, who is starting for the Winston-Salem Dash tomorrow. He has had a good run through the minor leagues since being acquired in the Adam Eaton trade. Figured we'd get a chance to talk with him. We'll probably, I imagine we'll be talking with a number of the White Sox top prospects in the next few weeks here. It is, it's kind of that prospect time. I mean, now that they've had you know, the season start a little bit later, uh, assignments change a little bit. Now that they're settling in, some of their accomplishments speak a little bit louder than they had a few weeks ago. Uh, we'll talk a bit more uh, about one of the top prospects in the Sox system, Yohan Mankata, when we come back. Had a couple of questions from you about him in the mailbag. That's what we'll do next. You can jump in, too. Mailbag's open to the phone line, 312-591-8900. 312-591-8900. Anything that's been on your mind about your White Sox, feel free to chime in. Oh, uh, C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. We pick him up on Twitter, too. I'm Connor. You've got WLS AM 890. This is White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Zydeco music always been a favorite of ours here on the show. That goes all the way back to, uh, well, Ronji loved Zydeco music. I know that for sure. I mean, the guy could barely get enough of it. In fact... Played it in his own Zydeco cover band. Not a lot of people know that. Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Minnesota Twins Thursday, May 11th at 7, 10 p.m. The first 10,000 fans will receive a free specialty T-shirt presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home to Bedford Park and win big. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesox.com or calling 866 Sox game This is the mailbag. It's your segment. On really, I mean, the whole show is yours. Really, it is. I guess except for the interviews. Those are for the people we're actually interviewing. The rest of the show is for you. 312-591-8900. 312-591-8900. Or you can jump in on Twitter, as many of you have, to join the mailbag segment of the show. At C1 McKnight is how you jump in there. Let me summarize a question that I've gotten both on phone calls 
and on Twitter many, many different times in many, many different ways. The question generally goes something like this. When is Yoan Mankata coming up? Fair question. A good one, too, because the guy, I mean, listen, if you were listening to the minor league report, if you missed it, by the way, head to uh, WLSAM.com slash White Sox. All the show, the whole thing, it's all podcast there, so you can digest it in its various forms and listen to all of the interviews. You can go back weeks to listen to old interviews that might have been cool. I recommend the Tommy Canley interview we got a couple of weeks ago. He was a very interesting dude. Crazy, but interesting. And he's been performing really well. So with Mankata, the question comes down to, in my mind, and I think in the minds of many others, I'm parsing from a lot of smart people here, two different dates. One would be May 15th. And that's right around the corner. And in case, you know, you've got some questions, and I believe me, I get it. Um, I understand that, that baseball fandom can kind of be had in two ways. You can consume everything about a club and get into all of the prospects and find all of that information and, and learn everything about the scouting reports and 2080 scale, that whole deal. Or it, it can just be like your constant drumbeat of summer. I, I understand and appreciate that part, too. The white as a White Sox fan, you are so blessed to have hashtag blessed to have a lot of different sources to get as in depth on some of these young prospects as you want. We can kind of do a little bit of both here on the show, and I guess if it's remedial, I apologize to you. But there are two dates with Yoan Mankata that you got to keep in mind. One is basically the control date, and listen, this is. If it's inside baseball, I understand it. And if it feels a little dirty, I, I get that too. And if it's all about the Benjamins for you, I, I understand that. But modern baseball has come to a certain point, and the CBA has gotten to a certain point where it benefits a team if they've got a real good young player on their hands to have them for as long as they can, to control that player, to have that player as long as they possibly can. Turns out to be not so great for the player if you've – uh, been in the minor leagues, or if you've been drafted, it's a little bit different from Yuan, for Yuan Mankata, who signed as an international free agent and has himself set in a way that other top prospects who might be coming up through the draft might not have. Still, if the White Sox make the decision to bring up Yuan Mankata after the 15th, they have him for seven years and not six. A good friend of mine once said, seven is longer than six. So... With that in mind, obviously that date's right around the corner. That'll be next, not the coming Monday, the next Monday. But another thing you have to keep in mind is this, and that's the Super 2. And I'm sure some of you know what it is, and I again, I apologize if we're going over tread ground here, but I think it's important to kind of reestablish where we're at in terms of this season and the long term. Super 2 essentially works. It's very complicated. and Well, it's not very complicated, but it's much more complicated than the next five minutes I have to describe it. There, it's essentially this. It's a percentage of players that reach a certain percentage of playing time by X date, and the date kind of moves. It's fluctuating a little bit. But that allows you to hit arbitration one more time, four times instead of three, if you are indeed a Super 2 player. And if your playing time doesn't meet those, those numbers, that criterion, well, then you hit arbitration three times instead of four. Looks like, and in order to play things safe, I suppose, that call-up date to not be a Super 2, if if, Yohan, if, if the White Sox are, are thinking about that with Yohan Mankata, 
And that would be sometime after the All-Star break. Now, with the way the White Sox have played, Rick Hahn has, has made it very clear that despite the fact that the White Sox are a half a game out of the AL Central right now, it's early, no doubt about it, but the fact that they've been playing some pretty good baseball, that they've pitched incredibly well, and that their offense could use an extra bat or at least a, some more consistent work out of that lineup, 26th on on-base percentage, 22nd in average, 25th in slugging percentage are the White Sox at this point through the year. Certainly you could use a little bit more consistency from, from a couple of different ball players. although with we'll get to it in the news and notes. A couple of these hitters in the White Sox lineup over the last four or five days really starting to click. So who knows? Maybe, maybe you get all of those guys clicking at the same time for a little bit and you're able to make a bit of a run here. We'll see. And again, that'll come up in the news and notes in a bit. But you know, Rick Hahn has made it clear that the performance of a major league team, of this major league team, will not affect the call-up dates for any one particular prospect, Yohan Moncada included. And that's the right thing to do. You can't... The, the White Sox are in a situation now where the long-term is... Some, they've committed to it. And the development of these prospects is so integral, maybe, indis, maybe indisposable from the long-term, that that's got to be held not above all, but definitely top of mind. So as you wait some for Mankata, and we got to step to the break here in, in about a minute or so, as, as you wait for Mankata, remember that. You know, I guess remember kind of the long-term approach to it. I, I definitely think that, that the White Sox will look long and hard at the development curve. I know that they'll look long and hard at the development curve of Yohan Mankata and think about what kind of checks he has to put in boxes for his for his development, what kind of things he has to get better at. Certainly the fact that he's, it seems like the strikeout rate for Mankata has dropped some over the last, I don't know, let's say two weeks. But it's not like Mankata is, there is swing and miss in that game. There's an immense amount of power. There's a ton of natural ability, sweat hitting from both sides, the whole thing. I mean, he's the top prospect in baseball for a pretty good reason. That said, you know, there are still facets of that game to develop. He entered this season with uh, about 200 bats over the A level. And granted, that's, you know, going up quickly, another 100 bats so far, a triple A so far. But I think, I think generally speaking, the breaks can be pumped some. There are a couple other questions in the mailbag that we will uh, we'll get to here. Some about Nikki Delmonico and Danny Hayes. A couple of questions here and there about uh, the Super 2 deadline itself. Oh, I think we got to that, actually. Uh, but the mailbag will roll on. We'll talk with Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago right after the 5 o'clock news. This is WLS AMA 90. Now, White Sox Weekly, the official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. Get the fireworks ready. White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90. You can enjoy guaranteed rate field just like a player. Play catch in the outfield, warm up in the bullpens, visit the dugouts, and much more. You can even give an interview to Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago, I think, if you want. And new for this year, a premier ticket that includes hitting in the batting cage. Oh, that's cool. Join us for Family Field Day on Saturday, June 10th, and support Chicago White Sox charities to purchase tickets. Visit WhiteSoxCharities.org. True, sir, we talked with Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago, that for White Sox Charity Days, you will be interviewing all the participants just as though you were a beat reporter covering their every move? 
Well, wow. Uh, I, apparently so. I, I, I'm not aware of this, but, you know, hey, I, I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm well, pumped. I'm going to talk to Bob Graham. We're going to get that done. <laughs> that way, it would be especially cool if it was me interviewing them with Danny Hayes watching in the background. Oh, so. my God. That would, be every, that would be my everything. That would be absolutely fantastic. You know Dan Hayes. He covers the White Sox at CSNChicago.com. You can follow him on Twitter as well at CSN Hayes. Uh, Dan, let's start with, I want to get to this lineup that Ricky Renneria has penciled in for the Sox and Orioles this evening, but let's start with last night. What, what was the conversation in the clubhouse last night and into this morning uh, about Gabriel Inoa and what he was able to do against the White Sox? And it, it just seemed like a, a really funky game last night. I wonder if that was the sense in the clubhouse afterward. I mean, it was weird. You get 12 hits and, and they end up uh, losing. They score two runs despite 12 hits and you know, you come out and you really hit the ball hard against Wade Miley so hard that you knock him out of the game there. And and it, it looks promising at that point when uh, those first four hits. And, I mean, you get a guy that a month ago at AAA gave up ten hits and seven runs to the AAA Charlotte Knights. And, and yet he comes in and dominates the high fastball and just spotted pitches. And, I mean, throwing strikes. And, you know, he <laughs> every time they get in – and they only had about three rallies, but every time they get close – the Orioles found a way to kind of wiggle out of it. And uh, I, I think there was, you know, it, it, guys guys were not um, too upset by the fact because they're in the game till the end. But just kind of a befuddling game for sure because, like I said, this guy really got hit around in the minor leagues and yeah. came out of nowhere to throw a great game. So this afternoon or this evening, rather, it's a, it's a very different-looking lineup for the White Sox, for Ricky Renneria. I, I know there was a lot of conversation with him about it. Uh, I ran down some of it for everybody who's listening uh, here on, on WLS AM 890, but just real quickly, and Dan, I apologize because this is all stuff you know, uh, Melky, Lurie, Jose Abreu, Avi, Todd Frazier, Cody Ashey, Tim Anderson, Omar Narvaez, and Yolmer Sanchez are your one through nine. What were your initial impressions to it, and and kind of what was what was Ricky's reasoning behind it? Well, I, I like what Melky in the leadoff. I mean, really, you look at this lineup. There's not a prototypical leadoff guy there. Melky does see a lot of pitches. He gets on base a lot. He's and Renneria said that hey, he's only get back there one time, most likely, um, just the first time. But I, you know, they want to move Tim Anderson down a little bit to give him a, a breather. And Anderson likes the leadoff spot, but. And he actually, you look at his offensive numbers about the last 11, 12 games. He's hitting 271. His on base is 315. Obviously, he'd like the on base to be a little higher, but it's not like he's totally slumping at the plate. But at the same time, they just want him to take a, a little load off of himself. I think that's why we see him in the seventh spot. And honestly, when you have a, a couple guys here or there out of lineup, I mean, you, you're going to get some weird permutations of this lineup at times. We've seen it. We've seen some strange five and six hitters over the last week. It's just how it is. You've got a lot of guys that are kind of in role spots that they they shift around, and, and we've seen, you know, I think Larry's batted fifth or sixth once or twice, and it's like, what's that guy doing there? He's a 460 OPS for his career. And yeah. having a, so um, <laughs> I, I think a lot of it really has to do with Melky moving up and, and Tim being moved down. And um, Tim Anderson uh, uh, definitely could use a little bit of taking some pressure off himself. Ricky Renneria has mentioned a couple of times when we're talking with Dan Hayes, CSN Chicago, that he was – you you put pick the right adjective. I'll, I'll use hesitant. I don't know if that's necessarily accurate, but hesitant to move Avisil Garcia up in the lineup. What's been behind that, and do you sense that that hurdle's been, uh, been jumped? 
I, well, the other day he talked about it as motivation um, and, and potentially not wanting to put him up there and have him get to that spot and struggle and have him go into a tailspin. But he, he used the word motivation. I think he was thinking about it the other way. Is, hey, when, when Avi's performing the way he is and he's still hitting fifth or sixth, probably thinking, why? Am, what do I have to do to get up to that third spot? And you can drive a player that way a little bit too. I mean, I think it's a little bit of a – the way he had done it is just kind of get him to want more and more and keep him, you know, kind of humble and wanting to prove that he is the guy that they think he is and, and that he thinks he is. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I do think that hurdle's been crossed a little bit. I mean, you get to that point where he keeps doing it and at some point you got to trust it and see if it really can work or not. And, and – uh I'm saying this as they are rolling the tarp out right now. Um, hear about yeah, it, it does. It looks like it's gonna clear up on the radar right before game time. But uh, tarp is definitely coming out, and they race the White Sox off uh, the field here for the end of batting practice. Well, I'll tell you what, that is the worst news you could possibly give a pre and or post game host. But I'll I'll live with it. I'm gonna be fine. Yeah. Uh, so- so Dan, with well, let me ask you this too. What what, if, what is the conversation with coaches? about Cody Ashey. I, I know there was a – he was taken out of a ball game the other night. He said his um, behavior, I guess, wasn't up to standards. You tell me if that's the, the wrong word. But he addressed it. He was upfront about it. I thought his uh, statement afterward was pretty adamant and honest, and it sounded like uh, Ricky Renneria's uh, acceptance of it was, was the same, adamant and pretty honest. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I mean, they'll be – directly confirm what it was but the other night he struck out pitch bounced it was a 2-2 pitch and it bounced right into Salvador Perez's glove but you didn't see one even thought of him moving the first base um he, he just essentially started to walk towards the visiting dugout which in Kansas City's at third base and and he, next time it came up he was uh, removed from the game for a pinch hitter Matt Davidson came in and and basically he said he he didn't live up to White Sox standards and I think, you know, Rick Renneria took it as a teachable moment for not only Ashley but for the whole team to say, look, if you don't do what we're, we're going to ask you to do, you are going to pay some consequences for it. And we've heard other players kind of wonder about that. Todd Frazier said it like, hey, if I don't hustle, yeah, that's right. what's, what's, gonna, what's he going to do? You know, because there has been this, this groundwork, this, this foundation of hustling. We've seen more guys around first base at a high rate this year than probably collectively all time last year. And guys are really taking it seriously. And I think this was a direct result of that. And Ashley said it, look, it was water under the bridge the next day. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, I, I understand exactly what he meant and, and I'm going to learn from it. And, and Renneria basically said the same thing. He didn't expect it to be any kind of hangover. And Ashley came back the next day and actually was able to contribute that two run double that kind of, put the game away early for the White Sox. They took a 5 nothing lead. So I think that, you know, I, probably for the team to see those kind of consequences, it's a, a good time to pick it, and, and um, they'll, they'll kind of learn from it. With um, well, a lot of conversation earlier on the show, you weren't here, but we were talking about it with some, some Sox fans, about uh, May 15th and, and what that means for Yuan Mankata. It, it you know saves him a year of service time. And while Mankata, it sounds like, is going to wait until he's ready, until the clocks are right and all that stuff, as, as well the White Sox should wait, are there other uh, prospects that the White Sox you know, may be looking at at this point in May? I mean, we're at that point now where you've got a whole solid month of minor league work in. Some guys have you know, debuted pretty well. Um, they're 
are potentially some changes you could make to the 25-man roster? Are you hearing uh, chatter or affirmation of any guys in, in AAA Charlotte? Look, I mean, it's possible. Anything's possible. I First of all, Moncada is a May 15th or May – yeah, May 15th is because he has a month of service somewhere. I mean, right, a lot of these right. guys we saw with Carlos Rodano, it's like April 19th he came up. So the seven the getting that seventh year has already been reached for most of these guys. I really think they're you know, with Moncada it's gonna be more like a not just the service time, but I think I mean super two status might come into play. We sure. saw it with Tim Anderson. So I would think if they're if they're looking at the clock like that, we'd probably be thinking July fifteenth for Moncada. I mean, realistically if mm-hmm. you're gonna you 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 got a guy that already has the money in his pocket and doesn't need to have a kind of life-changing contract. Tim Anderson, you could see why he would take money early on. He he didn't get $31 million like Yohan Moncada. Right. It wouldn't stun me to see Yohan Moncada be a guy that wanted to go year-to-year in arbitration. Um, you know, so so having that extra year of not being in arbitration, having because potentially four of seven years would be arbitration years. That could get pretty expensive by that final season for Yohan Moncada and the White Sox. So, I think he's going to be more July. I, but the thing is, is look, the White Sox have talked about not rushing anybody to the major leagues. They really are not planning on doing anything, bringing them up unless guys are ready. And, and so I think they have more of their geared towards next season. I mean, of course, anything happens this year is great. But at the same time, they're looking at the bigger picture. So it wouldn't surprise me to see most of those prospects come up later in the season, September, July, July at the earliest, but realistically September, August, stuff like that. Um, they're not going to just fill needs. They're not going to bring up Ronaldo Lopez yeah. to fill a spot. So I think it's going to be a little while. I think you know, it, it just I haven't heard the chatter. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen. I, it definitely could, but at the same time, I, I think they really are looking at the big picture and don't want to sacrifice any timelines. And Moncada has been outstanding, but the strikeout rate's still a little bit high. I'm sure they'd love for him to bring that down a little bit more and just slow the game down a tiny bit more and keep making these defensive adjustments that he has. It's been so impressive so far. Dan, appreciate it as always. We will see you when the White Sox come back into town. Actually, I think we're going to see everybody Monday in Indianapolis as the Charlotte Knights are are playing in Indy, so we'll probably see you then. Uh, I'll see you. Yeah, I'll be on my couch on Monday. I'll see you Tuesday. Sounds like a plan, man. All right, take these comments. Dan Hayes, CSNChicago.com. You can find all his stuff there on the website or just follow him on Twitter at CSN Hayes. Appreciate him coming on the show. We had a step to a break. We got just a little bit of time left with you before we start the pregame show festivities. The White Sox May Ballpark Pass is available now, and for just 42 bucks, fans can attend all 12 games in May with tickets delivered digitally to your smartphone. Visit WhiteSox.com slash pass for more information or to order yours today. News and notes coming up next. Some of the stuff you may have missed about your White Sox will get you covered. This is WLS AM 890. Just in case you missed it, we like to keep you up to date with all the fun little stats, the baseball nuance that perhaps you miss in the course of a week of watching your White Sox. Uh, this one from last night's ball game. We are, as far as the WLS... Uh, White Sox crew can determine last night was the very first game in baseball's history in which two pitchers with the last name Inoa worked. Gabriel Inoa relieved for the Orioles. Michael Inoa 
threw for the White Sox. It is definitely the first game with two Anoas pitching and three Garcias in a lineup. The White Sox had Willie, Lurie, and Avisil Garcia all work last night. And it is most definitely the first game with two Anoas, three Garcias, and a Yolmer. The White Sox had Yolmer Sanchez pinch hit in that ball game too. Jose Abreu's last 11 games have been just superb. He's 19 of 45, hitting 422. On base, 469 and slugging 822. All four of his home runs have been in those last 11 games. He's hit in 10 of those 11, uh, walked in a couple where he did not get a hit. Four doubles, a triple, three walks against seven strikeouts. So that number could be adjusted a little bit. He's definitely putting the bat on the ball, though. He has driven in eight. Uh, Anthony Swarzak has had a great run to start his 2017. We talked about that a bit with Cat Garcia. He's retired 15 straight. He's on that streak right now. He had already had an 18 streak, 18 batters retired streak. He's faced 46, walked one, given up three hits, and struck out 17. 14 ground balls, 12 fly balls, if you like to keep track of that kind of stuff. He has not allowed the first batter face to reach except for one time he walked one of the 12 batters that he came out of the bullpen to get, one of the first 12 batters that he came out to face. So impressive stuff from Anthony Swarzak there as well. Uh, this note on the Orioles, and it will affect the rest of this series against the Orioles. Zach Britton has been placed back on the disabled list for Buck Walters Orioles. So he's been, uh, he will not pitch, obviously, in this game. Some forearm tightness for Britton. I, I suppose that's, you never see want, want to see a competitor go down, but... It's fortunate news for the White Sox because he's incredibly good when he is available and in there. That's the music. We got to get out of here. The pregame show starts in about five, six minutes. Sox fans, you can join us as we welcome back White Sox greats on homecoming weekend, Friday, May 26th to Sunday, May 28th, when the White Sox battle the Tigers. Homecoming weekend is presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Bring your business home to Bedford Park and win big. To purchase tickets, visit WhiteSox.com. I'm Connor McKnight. Our thanks to Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago, Kat Garcia of WLS, and Dane Dunning of the Winston-Salem Dash, who all hung out with us on the show. Thanks mostly to you for calling, texting, and thanks for listening. White Sox pregame show starts in five minutes. Sox and Orioles do battle at Camden Yards. Keep it here. you got WLS AM 890.